Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We're live here at the Pella Window and Door Showroom, having a great time today, talking some Georgia football, hanging out with some folks, including yourself. You get a chance to come on by and see us right here off North Berkeley Lake Road in uh, Duluth. Uh, come by, see us today. We're going to have a great time. We'll be here till about 11 a.m. or so. So looking forward to doing all of that with you. Also, want to get ready to bring in John Stinchcomb there as well. You know, John and I speak on the phone all the time. Very rare for John and I actually be in the same place at the same time, especially the last couple of years where it seems like uh, a lot of us weren't kind of in person and together as much as we'd like to be. So anytime I have a chance to be with John in person, in fact, I'm going to ask John this in a moment. I believe the last time we were together in person may have been in Indianapolis for the national championship game. Have we seen each other? Uh, yeah, I think I think it may have been the, the last time that we saw each other in person, but he's here today. He's hanging out. We're going to have a, a great time. So let me just set up the football conversation like this we'll kind of get rolling i know kirby smart had a very interesting conversation on friday that aired on the paul feinbaum show there was one now there's a lot that smart said and over the course of the week we may get into some of that uh in more detail but one thing in particular that smart brought up it's a phrase that even if fans haven't quite articulated it this way it's really been on their mind it's the idea of georgia as a one-hit wonder and we know every Alabama fan hopes this is true. Oh, you won the national championship, but you can't come back and do it again. Florida fans hope that's true because they don't like seeing Georgia have that level of success. There's a sense in which there's a lot of opposing fans around Georgia. And you think about the states that border here, and they're all kind of lamenting the fact that the dogs are on top. You know, they for such a long time said, ah, oh, Georgia can't win a national championship. Georgia can't win a national championship. You may have heard it's been more than 40 years, at least before last year, before that had happened. And now that it has happened, some of those same critics are going to move the goalpost and say, well, you did it once, but you can't do it again. You're a one-hit wonder. Well, Kirby Smart on the Feinbaum show said that's not what Georgia's built to be. And it's one thing to say that because every coach hopes that's true when you break through and have great success. It's another thing to give some specific reasons why that's true. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually kind of combine two clips together and play them kind of together. This is shortened just for the sake of time, but Kirby on the subject of his team for the upcoming season, why he believes they are built to come back, and even though he doesn't quite buy into the notion of defending a title, why he believes that Georgia's built to come back and give an admirable defense of its national championship, and kind of from a philosophical mindset, what Georgia used to win the national championship last year, how the actual look of this year's team may be a little different from that. So let me let you hear Kirby from Feinbaum on Friday, then I'm going to bring John Stinchcomb on the show, and we'll react to that live here from Pella Window and Door in Duluth. So first, Kirby from Feinbaum, then John Stinchcomb right after that. Take a listen to this. There's a lot of adrenaline pushing Georgia away at the moment. Well, there always is. I mean, a lot of that will go into the Oregon game. A lot of it will go into how we play next year. But um, we, we were a program that is built to sustain. We weren't built on one-hit wonders. We weren't built on, you know, one guy, one player. Our program's not going to be make or break by one player. So we think we've got really good infrastructure. Uh, we've got a great thing to sell, a great education, playing a great conference. I mean, look at our state. We had 30 players drafted from our state, which is incredible from the state of Georgia for the number of people in it. So there's a great product being put out there by our high school and we get the blessing of that being the state university. What Georgia did last year, we really haven't seen that in this era of high-flying offenses. I know that's what you've been trying to build.
result from day one. Do you think we are, we, we, others will try to, uh, run, by the way, it's impossible to replicate that, but how, how is that fitting into where we are right now in college football? I think it's who we were that year. We'll be a different team this year. You know, we don't have five first-round defensive players coming back. It's, it's not going to be the case. I don't think it's going to be replicated very often. I still think the it's an era of throwing the ball. It's an era of scoring points, and we're going to have to do a better job of that, continue to do it. And We, we want to play defense better than everybody else. What that number looks like, I don't know. We just want to be number one in the country. We want to be good at it, but we want to score points. And to do that, you got to have skilled players that can make plays, and we think we're in a good Back here live at Pella Window and Door of George and Duluth. Just heard Kirby Smart of the Paul Feinbaum show. If you're watching a video, you recognize in person here right now John Stinchcomb. And I always feel so depressed when I stand next to John because, listen, I'm 6'2". You know, I, I, at least I, that's what the, the, my measurement says. I like to kind of stand up tall, but when you stand next to former NFL offensive lineman, all of a sudden you feel a lot shorter here. Uh, it's good to be in person with you. This is the first time we've been together in the same place since Indianapolis, the national championship game. Is that right? It is, and what a great time that was. And uh, we're still talking about our dogs because, I, I, you know, as they transition from defending a national championship to actually starting this new year, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And, you know, you're listening to Kirby and, and Fine Mom, and, you know, everybody's going to take their shots and say, how do you replace as many pieces as they lost? You're, you celebrate the number of players they had in the NFL draft a few weeks ago, and the questions are raised of, what do you do? I mean, that's, a, that's an, almost an entire starting defense that is now playing in the NFL. There's a lot of holes to fill. But I think the first answer to that is the high level of recruiting that Georgia's done year in and year out. Uh, the one piece that might be missing this year is, is the transfers, right? But I think retention is just as much part of the conversation as addition. So uh, being able to keep the Amarius Mims in-house, I think, is a big deal for Georgia. I think that's right. And I love what Kirby said there a moment ago. The reason why he believes that Georgia is not a, to use his phrase, one-hit wonder, he says, we're not about one player. And I, like, I don't know how much thought Smart put into what he said, but this is something we've talked about on the show a lot, is that if you look at Florida, who won the national championship in 2008, but by 2010, Urban Meyer was already looking for a new job. Or if you look at Auburn, which won the national championship in 2010, but a couple of years later, Gene Chizik's out you know, of, of a job there. At Orgeron right now, in 2022, he'll not be the coach at LSU, even though they won the national championship. And they may have been one of the best teams of all time back in 2019. That's three examples of SEC coaches leading their team to a national championship. And a couple of years later, they were unemployed. They, they, they essentially just fell off the mountain so quickly after winning the national championship. But all three of those teams I just mentioned kind of all had one thing in common. Florida had Tim Tebow, no great replacement for him. Auburn had uh, Cam Newton, clearly no replacement for him. And at LSU, in the post-Joe Burrow world, there's really no replacement for him there either. All-time great quarterbacks, but not anyone waiting the wings to kind of play anywhere near that same level. Georgia, by comparison, is just not built around one player like that. And this is not a conversation about Stetson Bennett necessarily. Georgia isn't built around any one player at any position. It's not like Georgia had some sort of Chase Young-type pass rusher was racking up 20-plus sacks. You know, Georgia had nearly 50 team sacks, but it's spread out fairly evenly amongst a relatively large collection of players. Same thing for the offense where, you know, clearly Brock Bowers was the best player in the Georgia offense last season, but they still got major contributions from like four different running backs. There were a huge number of wide receivers that stepped in after George Pickens got hurt. The word that I've used around Georgia a lot, John, is decentralized. Georgia was just a very decentralized system last year. And while you would never want anybody to get hurt, 
had Georgia dealt with a major injury, the fact of the matter is they were just a lot more anti-fragile than some of the other teams that are out there. You know, you know the notion that that Jamison Williams and uh, someone you know, John Metchie get hurt, oh, Alabama's you know depleted. The fact of the matter is that says something negative about Alabama that had, they had so much of their success resting on one or two players like that. At Georgia, as Kirby Smart said, this just wasn't built around one guy. This was built around a huge number of players. I think that same kind of system is still in place for Georgia coming back for this up, up, upcoming year. They just won a national championship, and if you looked at their roster, especially early in the year, the number of injuries that they had and did deal with, I think speaks to the way that the team was built. Uh, you lose your guard that you're hopeful for uh, in week one in the first half of the game. They're wide receivers. You were hoping that Eric Gilbert would be the guy last year to come in, uh, Jermaine Burton, Dominic Blaylock. I mean, there were injuries that affected this team, but yet the way they were made – is we're deep. Yeah. We've got players uh, not only that are that play at a high level as our ones, but our twos can step in and there's not that drop-off. That's why I think you look at Georgia's defense these past few years, It's not it's been the no-name defense, right. but yet they've played at a high level. It's because they rotate guys in. That's right. Who's the starter? Who really cares? They, whether it's linebacker, cornerback, defensive line, they're always in a rotation. Now, does it affect an individual's stats? Yes, it has. But the overall performance, I think, is raised because, one, the competition's better. Two, you come in fresh. And three, that's the identity of the defense. It's a selfless mentality, and that's what Georgia has, has built themselves on. Uh, you look at other teams. I think Alabama's built a very similar way in that they have a great deal of talent, but it's not focused individually. Obviously, you lose a, a star like Jamison Williams in the middle of a national championship game. That hurts, yeah. right? And, and it, you come into a game plan, and you're also playing against a really talented Georgia team that's hungry and tired of being uh, the, the, the second team in that scenario. So uh, it was certainly a great situation for Georgia, and they seized it, and rightfully so, their national cha- we We're national champions, which uh, we're all proud of here at Dog Nation. Uh, but I think it's a much different setup than these other teams that you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. Most of these teams, they had one, two players that were the central focus, and that was most certainly not Georgia. I think offensively there's really more opportunity for their ceiling to be a little bit higher this year than what we saw last year. Well, that was something else that Kirby Smart said in the clip you just heard a moment ago, and it's interesting that Smart takes the tack that he did, did because – if I was him, I wouldn't do this. I'm not saying that it'd be right for me to do this. I'm saying that my ego would want me to spike the football because Smart had to endure for a couple of years, especially Nick Saban. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. Saban strutting around, bragging about how much he had evolved, how much he had changed, how proud that he was, that his team had essentially traded the physicality that once defined Saban teams for a finesse version of football that allowed Alabama to score a whole bunch of points, more points than Georgia was scoring. And you know, Kirby Smart, when Georgia really wasn't doing that, and for a while they weren't having the level of offensive success that Kirby wanted them to have or probably needed to have to really be in the, uh, you know, the, the elite conversation, Kirby had to endure a lot of, well, does Kirby realize that college football is evolving? Is Kirby just too stubborn? Kirby took a lot of arrows because of what looked like a lack of evolution on his part when the sport was changing all around him. Well, guess what? 2021 – it all kind of moved back in Kirby's direction a little bit, kind of moved back in Georgia's direction a little bit. And if I were Kirby in that situation, I'd want the world to know how right I was. 
I'd want people to say, how do you like me? I'd, I'd want to say, how do you like me now? Y'all were saying all this kind of stuff, but nobody's saying that anymore because my defense just led us to a national championship. But Smart didn't do that in the clip you just heard from uh, the Feinbaum show a moment ago. He said, listen, that was our definition from last year, and we still want to be great defensively, but we still understand that this sport is also about scoring points right now and being great offensively. It's just kind of interesting from, a, from an ego point of view that Smart doesn't double down necessarily on what worked for him a year ago. It doesn't abandon the notion of playing great defense, being the best defense they can be, but still acknowledging, as you said a moment ago, that the recipe this year is going to look a little bit different than it looked a year ago. Still great defensively. David Pollock was on our show uh, on Friday saying he thinks they may give up 10 points per game more this year than they gave up a year ago, but that still puts you in a pretty good category. But a lot more offense, or at least more offense, even what you had last year. Interesting to hear Smart, the degree to which he's kind of acknowledging that, yeah, that the makeup of this year's team is going to be a little bit different. And, and you rightfully so. Anybody who's been a part of team sports knows that just because you had an identity the previous year, you change. You change over the offseason. Pieces change, especially in college football. There's so much turnover and guys are developing. Guys are leaving to move on to the NFL. So you know the identity is going to be a little bit different because of the makeup. But what doesn't change is the culture. And what I think Kirby and really the entire team has established a culture of, uh, of an identity, of who we're, what we're about. Maybe it's not what's focused, but uh, he's a defensive coach. He, he played defense. He's been a, a defensive coordinator, and that's where he really made his chops for a number of years at a number of successful programs. And when he came to Georgia, part of the culture he wanted to create is we're going to play physical football. And defensively, you can see that year in and year out. Now, offensively, there have been some times where I think it would be a fair assessment to say we lagged behind the curve a little bit as they evolved. Now, with Coach Munkin as offensive coordinator, what we saw from year one to year two under his leadership and his regime is a much broader, expansive attack from, from this offensive group. And I think now that you've added more pieces and you're f deeper into the pocket of uh, his culture and what he's created and the opportunities that he has with his players, um, I, I think we've seen that evolution. And, and there's very much a positive momentum that's been built offensively. And I, I think the, the bar is much higher for offense this year as compared to what it's been in the years past. I want to get a couple more thoughts from you on that topic here in a moment. I do want to remind folks where we are, kind of what we're doing here today. We're live here at the Pella Window Indoor Showroom here in Duluth. And I want to give you the address if you want to stop by and see us. Now, if you can't be here before we leave today, you should stop by and see the great things going on here because if you're in the mood for really finding out about what makes Pella Window Indoor of Georgia such a recognized brand, so respected in terms of how they make your home feel better on the inside, look better on the outside, coming by and checking out this showroom is a great way to do that. So here's the address. It's 2605 North Berkeley Lake Road, uh, Northwest, Suite 400. That's in Duluth. It's just off North Berkeley Lake Road. Beautiful uh, facility here. You can stop by and see. I had a chance to take a tour of the place earlier. Saw the warehouse back there. All, I mean, talk about just a massive. You really get the size and scope of what uh, Pella's doing here. When you come by and see them in person here, I got a chance to see that myself a little earlier. You can get a chance to do the same thing for yourself and meet the friendly folks here. Uh, they had you know, donuts and coffee and all that kind of stuff rolled out for us. We've got some Dog Nation Daily t-shirts. 
shirts on hand. My guess is we'll probably leave a few of those here today. So if you missed the chance to get one while we're here, you may get a chance to uh, pick one up there at some point in time there from our friends at Pella there too. So once again, that address, 2605 North Berkeley Lake Road, Northwest Suite 400 in Duluth, Georgia. And I want to remind you of why you want to be uh, here and come by and see this. It's because of the uh, great stuff that Pella Window and Door of Georgia is doing all the time. As I said before, making your house feel better on the inside. That's what more energy efficient, better windows, better doors give you a chance to do. It's hot right now. We're going to hit 90 before the week is done. That means you've got air conditioning working overtime. Well, right now, everything costs more, uh, seemingly, including your air conditioning bills, things like that. So the last thing you want is turn that air conditioning on only to have that energy escaping out of the house through windows that aren't sealed properly, your doors that just don't quite function the way they're supposed to or the way they used to, maybe. That's why you need Palo Window and Door of Georgia. That nice cold air that you uh, love having this time of year, keep it inside your house where it belongs and make your house look better on the outside there, too. Beautiful entry doors like the ones that are right over here. Beautiful windows like the displays that are right here behind me. You can come by and see that for yourself here at Palo Window and Door of Georgia. Oh, yeah, by the way, chance at great savings there, too, because between now and June 2nd, you can get 50% off qualifying installations or 0% APR for 24 months. Once again, that's 50% off qualifying installations or 0% APR for 24 months. Now, you may be saying, well, BA, wish I could be there in Duluth today, but I can't, or I like doing my shopping experience maybe online. Well, there's a couple of other ways for you to get in touch with Pella Window and Door of Georgia there, too. You can check them out online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's the website, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Just be sure to let them know that me, BA from Dog Nation Daily, said that they would take good care of you because I know that they will. So, John, let's get back into the Georgia football conversation here for a moment. And talk about the offense and the fact that Kirby on the fine bomb show going back to Friday says that, hey, you know, the, the makeup of this year's team going to be a little bit different than it was a year ago. Five first-round picks off the defense. So here's what's left. How do you build around that? And, like, the number I've kind of talked about is I'd love to see George get to 42 points per game. That they're about 38, 39 a year ago, knocking on the door of really kind of being at that 40 mark. For the most part, they were a pretty consistent 30-plus team pretty well in every game there, too. They didn't have a great offensive performance against Clemson in week one, but for the most part played uh, consistently week to week offensively other than that. But at about 38 or so a year ago, how do you get up to about 42 here for this upcoming year? So we look at what Georgia did well offensively last year, needing to do a little bit better than that this year. If I told you I need four more points per game, you know, you know extra touchdown every couple of games, how do you think you get there? What is, what is the opportunity for Georgia offensively to be better than it was last year. Isn't it funny? We're talking about six touchdowns a game is what we want to average yeah. now. I mean, you used to think that hanging 50 on a team was a big deal. It's but the biggest flex you could have. Absolutely. I mean, we, I remember being on the sidelines thinking, hey, we're about to hang 50 and yeah. feeling like you're doing something. And now 42 is the bar. Yeah. And I think it's because of the way offenses are attacking. You spread the field. You're using width and depth. I mean, to be a defensive coordinator, I think only speaks to – the specialness of last year's group that historically they were great, but not in, in the sense of just looking at numbers, but also looking across the board of, of how off offenses have changed. So to get to 42 on average for Georgia, I think it's uh, you have to rely on a number of different weapons, and that's the strength of what Georgia is bringing to the table now. Uh, you know, the comments were made in the middle of uh, G-Day that – Maybe maybe this team could run one running back and four tight ends onto a field, and it wasn't just a let's just throw out a garbage 
line in the middle of a spring game. They very realistically could could make that happen. You add that with the number of wide receivers that you know, uh, bring different facets to the game, whether it's speed or great route running. I look forward to seeing Dom Blaylock back in the mix. There's a number of young players, but also some guys that, that have been in the, in the fire a little bit. Kiaris Jackson is another playmaker that at times would flash, and I think that's what we're going to see from this offense. And, and that decentralization, that's what this group is all about. Uh, it, you know, last year it was, you know, Zeus would have a good game and then James Cook would, would blow up for a couple of games. And I, I see the, the KM brothers doing the very same thing, whether it's Milton one game, McIntosh the next, and really that's just the first two. There's a number of players at, at running back. So when you look at this roster, uh, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, your playmakers, you've got a great amount of talent that most teams would be really jealous of. And I think having that mix of veterans that have been in it a little while and some younger guys that are hungry that you can fit in in situations that complement those veterans really should push that bar a little bit higher. Now, Stett, the Jet, back at the helm and comes in as the starter for the first time in his career, having just been named MVP from a national championship, the first one, and as we know, over four decades for the Georgia Bulldogs. I think that really calculator sets yourself up for, for success. That's a great recipe. So I'll be candid for a moment, and John, I've joked about this before, especially with our video audience. We take a lot of just kind of off-the-cuff type comments, and We've been doing that now for a long time, and this time of year, spring turning to summer before the start of practices that lead you to the start of a new season, those of us who love Georgia, and every fan base probably does this with his own team to a certain extent, but those of us who love Georgia, we have a tendency to bet the over on all of the players. Like, oh, he's going to have 1,000 yards, and he's going to have 1,000 yards, and this guy may have 2,000 yards, this guy's going to be, you know, whatever else. That if you really go back and listen to this over the course of the years, the same way they say in, like, baseball spring training, hope springs eternal. There's a certain sense in which hope springs eternal for, for all of us uh, doing you know, this too when it comes to college football conversation. However, there's one thing about this team this year, with that said, that I do think has a chance maybe to be a little bit different than the conversation we thought we were having this time a year ago. So last year going into the season, I remember saying this in particular before the Clemson game, that the recipe for the most success possible against what we thought was a very good defense turned out to be true against Clemson was, hey, running backs, tight ends. That's the position group we're the deepest. Now, as it turns out, Georgia was even better at tight end than a lot of us realized. But we kind of knew Georgia had a lot of talent in the tight end position, a lot of talent at the running back position. And the unspoken part of that was with George Pickens hurt, you didn't quite know what you did have at wide receiver. The wide receiver going into last year – was kind of thought to be a little bit of a weak link for Georgia offensively. So, therefore, lean on your running backs, lean on your tight ends, because you just sort of believe that position group to be deeper. That's probably still true to a certain extent this year because of just how amazingly deep Georgia is at tight end and how, as you said, guys like Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh can be special from running back position. Kirby Smart also gave another interview last week uh, with a different radio station than the one I played for you a moment ago. And he talked about having three, or he, he said four wide receivers they feel pretty good about. My point here is this, is that I do expect Georgia to play a lot of tight ends. And Georgia's probably going to use some multiple running back stuff, and they're going to use those backs and those tight ends frequently in Todd Munkin's system. But they're not as afraid of their wide receivers maybe as they once were. Or they maybe don't quite feel like that's as thin of a group as it once was. In total numbers, maybe, maybe so. But in terms of also designing some creative things for wide receivers this year, the way they've been trying to be creative with backs and tight ends, 
I believe that could also be a little bit of a next evolution for Georgia offensively. Yeah, and I think it goes to the recruiting aspect of it, right? So you just mentioned George Pickens. We came in with so many injuries last year, which you think would make the offense struggle, which, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why it was such a low-scoring affair in that Clemson game is guys are still trying to create identity uh, and, and understand how they fit into the offensive scheme. Very much a different case now. I think because of those injuries last year, younger players were able to get more experience and get more reps. And, and there are still some guys that are coming back from injuries. Rosamie Jack Saint, so another guy that you think, man, he, he was looking good before that nasty-looking injury in the goal line there. So a number of players. Now, you did mention something that I think is important. Uh, as you talk about decentralization, we probably won't have those Heisman-type players because we don't rely on that one guy. So statistically, if, if you're playing fantasy football, college football level, Georgia's not the team that you want to pick up these players because each week it very well could be someone different. And I, I think that's a strength for the team. It's the same thing defensively. Yeah. You know, We had that conversation about Jermaine Johnson um, as, as we were approaching the draft of he goes to Florida State, his numbers explode. I think it's the same guy. But the system that Georgia creates offensively and defensively is about the greater good, the greater uh, performance of our unit. And offensively, there's going to be times where you get highlighted, where we're going to call your number, where we like your matchup, where we've created situations for you to succeed. And the next week, it's, it's the next guy. And I think Georgia has the depth to be able to do that. I think that's part of what gives defenses the same problems that our defenses has given to offenses. We don't just highlight one player. We don't create situations for one guy to thrive. It's a group approach and the mentality of team first, the big team, little me shirts that – uh, you know, I, I think I used to wear and many teams want to possess. I think they brought those back a couple of years ago. Georgia kind of brought that back. They're one of the great phrases from the uh, kind of the uh, golden ages of Georgia football. Yeah, but it's that mentality, right, of you got to sacrifice your individual statistics for the greater good. And I, I think as you can sell that to players, especially for Georgia this year, uh, because of the draft. I mean, you're having starters that are going high in the draft because they understand – you're a great player, and you're just fitting in, into a bigger system. So it's not just about statistics that we're looking at. You start that mentality, and I think it really does create that situation for sustained success yeah. where, you know, early in this segment you're talking about, you know, is this one-hit wonder? Well, that's what every other team wants, but that's not the way Georgia's set up. That's not the identity that brought them to the point of winning a national championship, nor will it be uh, the culture that carries them through from a national championship to more success on an annual basis. I'll change the subject talk about something different in a moment. Let me also remind folks we're live here at Pella Window and Door of Georgia, the Duluth showroom right here off North Berkeley Lake Road. And this time on Monday, we also like to do an Around the Doghouse, obviously assisted by our friends at AAA. I drove from my home over here today. This time of year, I'm driving a lot, whether it be going to baseball games or I got a high school football event I'll be a part of on Thursday. When I'm traveling all around the Atlanta area, fighting that traffic and everything you have to do to get to where you're going, I'm always thankful that I've got that triple a membership card right there in my pocket because listen flat tire something like that goodness knows i have no idea what to do so my friends at triple a can kind of step in help me out with that and i think it's a great thing for you especially this time of year we're all traveling seemingly more in the summer than maybe any other time of the year and so it is peace of mind or maybe you can't be with your wife and children as they're traveling sometimes we find ourselves kind of separated you know going different places i love knowing that when my wife and kids are out 
and uh, traveling about, they've got that AAA membership card right there with them too. So if I can't be there to assist them, I know somebody can be very quickly. That's why we love AAA around here. So check out AAA.com. You can find an auto club near you. You can become a AAA member. Lots of great things going on with AAA, but the thing they've been known for for such a long time, that legendary roadside assistance. So check out AAA.com for a lot more on that and become a AAA member here this summer. So, John, I want to get back into a conversation that we got into a little bit going to uh, last, you know, last week, which is the name, image, likeness conversation, the transfer portal stuff, and if anything can be done about what's turned out to be a pretty crazy uh, you know, last few weeks. And here's the sense that you get. You know, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban both talking about this pretty you know, aggressively last week when they were at the uh, celebrity golf event there in Birmingham. Uh, media types talking about this too. And it really seems like we're kind of getting to that point where battle lines are really being drawn here, where it seems like some of the powers that be in college athletics have said, well, by doing nothing, we've enabled, you know, an extra level of craziness to kind of uh, take over. Maybe that was predictable, maybe it wasn't, but it's in the minds of some, and it's clearly here. On the other side of that, there are lawyers that represent players, or there are, you know, lawyers who maybe kind of help run some of these NIL collectives. And they're saying, listen, if you try to do anything to slow down what we're doing, we're going to sue you on the basis of antitrust law. Now, I'm not a lawyer, uh, you're not either, but. The sense that you get from the people that you talk to, and I know the subject matters to you, you're a big stakeholder in all of this. Um, is it too late to do anything about this? If you're talking about NIL deals, yes, I think so. I think once you've got, you open the gate, and I come from a family full of teachers, right? For, or coaches, for that matter. How do you start? You start very strict, and then you loosen up as you go. We did the exact opposite with this NIL deal. We said, all right, this is what you want. We're going to open it up. And now we're going, oh, maybe we need to put some framework around it. It's not how it works. I mean, across the board, you have allowed such opportunity for players to uh, maximize their opportunities on their name, image, and likeness. Well, with very little forethought, you didn't recognize that now third parties can control and actually recruit and solicit players to transfer from one school to the next and high school players are now saying well if, if I go here maybe it's a great opportunity but I also get six figures or seven figures for some of these guys in in extra deals uh, it's too late I really think it's too late for name image and likeness to create structure without lawyers and litigation tying this up for such an extended period of time where it becomes uh, a a, a drain on the finances for colleges because ultimately um, that's what we're talking about right I mean it, it would be the schools or the NCAA versus a third-party lawyer that's going you got no chance here and I think what what you can start restricting maybe is the transfer portal I think that's something that is under the domain of these colleges name image and likeness you said all right that's between the player and a third party and we're going to stay clear and now you're saying well we maybe we need more control I don't think you can do that with transfer portals I think the fact that it's still quote-unquote student athletes I think schools do have more control there and you can frame it as well this is not to the benefit of the student part of this student athlete for them to transfer and, and maybe you can restrict some of those things and and pull back on what's become an open market for for transfers and players looking for the best financial opportunity that schools possess which is independent of the school because it's between them and a third party 
that's a piece that you can regulate and maybe pull back some on, but that name, image, and likeness deal, that I think they've gone way too far to try to box it in. I, and that's what you're seeing and hearing from those that are the third parties that have invested in getting players to come to those schools. I thought Pete Thamel had a very interesting piece at ESPN.com. I read it on Friday. We'll probably talk more about this in greater detail throughout the week here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. But what Pete said at ESPN.com on Friday is, is that – the real conversation ought to be about what's next. And the thing that Pete pointed out, and I realize that some of this can be kind of complicated, so I'm going to try to make this as like streamlined and succinct as I can possibly make it, which is that in the f- next few years, you're going to see a major advantage for the SEC and the Big Ten compared to, like, say, the Big 12, the Pac-12, ACC, other leagues like that, because of the amount of um, of revenue those leagues are going to be bringing in compared to what – the other leagues are bringing in, in some cases, maybe $50, $100 million more per year for those, uh, for those um, uh, leagues in comparison to the other leagues there on that. And he said that at a certain point, these leagues are going to have to use some of that TV money to incentivize keeping players in their league, and that's really what the next conversation is all going to be. And the other thing that he said is, which I think is kind of interesting, that if you want to get around the idea of like the antitrust stuff and the idea of um, – of you know declaring these players to be employees and things like that, it's going to really kind of come down to uh, basically creating a smaller enclave than like the totality of Division One NCAA football the way we think of it right now. You have to create something a little smaller than that if you want to get around this, which kind of leads me to. Well, does that mean that all of this is just over? Is Georgia, and I say this half kiddingly, half seriously, are they the last national champion, the last national champion kind of crowned in kind of the early stage of the NIL era before all of this became so fractured and became so splintered and we sort of did away with the notion that everybody was kind of playing underneath the same umbrella by the same rules anyway? Are we really about to live in a world where Georgia's competing not against 129 other teams, but like 50 or 60 other teams. Is it really about to get that much smaller, that much more fractured? Is that really where we're heading on all of this? And, I mean, how much would be lost if it isn't the entire country competing together in college sports anymore? How how much would that be changed if that's the case? Yeah, I think we'll be able to look – 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, well, this is the cause, right? What caused this fracture? What changed the game so much from how we knew it? And it's going to be the name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal. You, you can specifically say that was the time that changed college, specifically football, right? I mean, it affects other sports. I think you can, you can extrapolate and say men's basketball is another one. Maybe gymnastics in the women's uh, arena could be more influenced in those spaces or, or women's basketball because uh, the influence that – you get three, four, five players, and you can pay for them to, to transfer um, to get them into a program. Yes, I think this is the time where it's going to really change, and maybe this is the impetus that draws – I mean, basically, college football is has become just a – it's a minor league for the NFL for a lot of these guys. And I think when Texas and Oklahoma said, hey, we see the writing on the wall, we think – the SEC becomes the premier league, if you will, if you're looking at the professional ranks and probably international soccer is a, is a great model for that where some teams are, are, are playing professional soccer but it's not at the same level as the elite. That's kind of what we've created in, in college sports where there's, there's a, a drastic stratification of 
these teams have the ability and the players to compete. And now we've become we've we've created feeder systems almost with the transfer portal of of guys that have played in what we used to know as as good teams that you can build and create. That's no longer the scenario. If if you're a Rutgers, if you're you know, no offense here, but if you're Georgia Tech and you've got a stud running back, he's going to say, well, I'm going to move to this next tier. I'm going to bump up. So you've created feeder systems. And I, I think for Georgia basketball fans, you can recognize what that looks like. Very different situation than Georgia football. Yes, absolutely. Whereas Georgia football is the destination, Georgia basketball became the feeder system. We had good players that ended up, I don't want to build and create when I can go and plug in. And, and that's what we've seen now. So five years from now, what does that look like? Is that still connected to the college aspect? Because uh, I think players have very clearly said that student athlete aspect, I really just want to be an athlete. Now, the only way to do that, especially in football, the only show in town for me to come out of high school and develop my skills is to go to a college. Now we've said we're paying players, you know, not to play, of course, but for their name, image, and likeness. You're, you're, it's it's minor league ball that's still associated. Now for us, I'm a Georgia fan, right? I love Georgia football. I, I love and and create and grow a love for the players that participate as Georgia football players. And that's sort of degraded a little bit because the players that I've grown such an affinity to have moved on to a different school. And now, now I'm going, well, hold up. This receiver that was beloved to me is now going to be against our bitter rival. That's hard for, for us to, you know, chew on and, and get through. And I think that's just the evolution of the game of where we are today and, and the direction it's heading, I think will only degrade that relationship between the fan base and their team. Let me try to make two more quick points about this. And I said before, I'm going to try to keep these as simple and straightforward as I can get, and then we'll talk about something different here in a moment. But here's the first thing. There's a big difference in between what I believe in theory and kind of what I believe in practice. In theory, I like the idea of players getting money. I think they deserve some money. I like the idea of players in some situations being able to transfer. I wouldn't want to be held prisoner somewhere for four years while I was miserable. I don't really want to hold players prisoners somewhere for four years if they're truly miserable somewhere in theory i like those kinds of things in practice i'm just being honest i'm for whatever saves college football in practice i am for maybe making the rules somewhat more restrictive if you can find the legal grounds to do so as a way of making sure 20 years from now there's still a college football for kids to play and i know that kind of comes across a little bit hypocritical or it comes across as grossly unfair to some people but I think the way to be the most fair to the largest number of people is to make sure that the college football that has made you the man that you are right now still exists to make men in the future. Yeah, and, and sometimes, <laughs> you know, you don't really know what you're asking for. And I think as players, that's, that was the scenario is, you know, we don't recognize how great the college football system has been and the, the machine that's been created that does generate such – a large amount of money that as the players were like, hold up now, we're the product, right? We need to capitalize on that. And if we can't plug into those dollars, well, don't restrict our access to the other dollars outside of this, which, which is what, what the whole mentality of creating NIL, that's where it was the genesis of it. But what we didn't rec recognize is to add this piece, 
will suppress and, and degrade the value that, that has been created in college sports. And if, if what you really want is to be paid as a developmental player, well, we can look at other models for that. We can look at minor league baseball. I like going to a Stripers game, but it's not the same as my affinity for Georgia football, right? And, and nor is their marketability. I, I think part of about 200 fewer minor league teams now than there were two years ago. It's a failed business. Minor league baseball, for the most part, is a failed business. Yes, and, and so, you know, it, it's almost like we, we don't have the maturity and the forethought to say, I want this, but not at the expense of. What's it going to cost me? We, I don't think we did that cost analysis well enough to say, you know, yes, I want these things, but I'm not willing to sacrifice the golden goose that is college football. And now we're starting to, to recognize, man, there is a price to pay for the open market that we've created and, and the opportunities for players to maximize on their name, image, and likeness. It, it's coming at a cost. And we don't know exactly what that bill's going to tally up to, but right now it's not pretty. One final thought on this, and look, around here we have a very strict no politics policy, and I don't think I have to tell you why we need something like that. So I'm going to use a word that we don't use around here very much, and that's Congress. I get the sense that if Congress wanted to step in here, it could. And most of the time when Congress steps in on anything, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, Congress stepping in is typically not always a good thing. But in this particular case, there is a part of me that thinks, because you know Greg Sankey, along with George Klyakov, the Pac-12 commission, they were in Washington the day, Maybe, maybe Congress could step in here and, and, and create some sort of law that kind of passes, I guess you'd say, constitutional muster here. Like Maybe Congress could throw a Hail Mary pass, and that's more Congress than I promise we'll ever talk about on this show. But do you hold out any hope there could be some sort of national legislation that, that tames some of this? Because the various states behaving on their own, that's not getting it done. I do believe what a lot of sports writers are saying, that the NCAA – technically doesn't even have the power to do this, that if it's going to come from anywhere, it's going to come from Congress. And I, I, we don't talk Congress around here, but can they do something? <laughs> Put me on the spot, B.A., you talk about politics. Uh, well, I, I think we could recognize that a federal initiative might be able to address it, but uh, there, there's a lot of federal initiatives that I think are well-intended <laughs> that the execution may not be exactly the desired outcome you want, B.A. So uh, my concern... So what you're saying is, is, if I've put our hope and faith in Congress, that shows you how messed up we really uh, are. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a good indicator that we're recognizing, man, we're, we're in trouble here. And I think, it, I think we are. I think for college sports, they are jeopardized more so than anyone recognized when they said, hey, I can't wait to see what this name, image, likeness opportunity for players looks like. Uh, because the, the, the model of college sports is certainly in jeopardy right now. So we're having a great time here today, live at Pella Window and Door of Georgia in Duluth off North Berkeley Lake Road. Actually, this is one of two consecutive Mondays where you have shows on the road. Next Monday, looking forward to being live at the Pollock Family Foundation Golf Tournament there as well. We had Dave on the show on Friday. We talked a little bit about the great work the Pollock Family Foundation is doing. So just know we tune in next week. We'll have a huge collection of special guests, hoping for that. Have a great time there. Always fun to be out at a beautiful golf course this time of year. And as David told you on Friday – 
We're also big believers in the work that the Pollock Family Foundation is doing. First of all, on the tournament day next Monday, in partnership with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, their Strong for Life initiative. Obviously, David cares a lot about childhood obesity. That's a lot of the work that the Pollock Family Foundation has been doing to helping kids and families make better health decisions. Obviously, David's in great shape, so he clearly knows what he's doing when it comes to all of that, and that's a lot of what the Pollock Family Foundation is doing. But as David told you on Friday, that's not all the Pollock Family Foundation is doing right now. So make sure you check them out online at Pollock pollockfamilyfoundation.com that's pollockfamilyfoundation.com we think it's always great to support former dogs who are doing great things in the community john we've talked to you before about the great work that you and your brother and others have done when it comes to children's health care of atlanta obviously david some of that great stuff coming up uh, next monday there as well and all kinds of other cool things there too so david's got a great event we're excited about being a part of it and we want to encourage you to donate to the causes that David's Golf Tournament goes to support. So check out PollockFamilyFoundation.com for a lot more on that. We'll see you there next Monday at the Pollock Family Foundation Golf Tournament. Looking forward to being able to do that. All right, in the time we have left here, let's do something a little bit more fun than kind of whatever the future of NIL and Transfer Portal is going to be and kind of the way those things are coming together. There is another big change that totally different than that that's seemingly on the horizon there too. And one thing I've told our audience before is, is that we stand here in kind of like the late spring, early summer, there's a lot of hypothetical conversations that we throw around. Hey, what if Auburn moved to the SEC East? Or what if you played another team beside yourself on your spring game? All kinds of like crazy theories or, or, or uh, you know, maybe wishes get cast this time of year. But this year feels like a different type of thing in which some of these crazy, far-fetched ideas, I do truly believe, are on the forefront of coming true with the SEC scheduling in particular. First of all, the SEC is about to have 16 teams in the league. It's going to become unwieldy to try to keep the same scheduling model you've had in place, even if you wanted to. But I get the sense that the powers that be in the SEC kind of don't even really want to. And I get the sense that around the rest of the world, ACC's already spoken up about this. There was an NCAA recommendation about a week or so ago that pretty much all the leagues are about to do away with divisions. So the point is, Georgia won't be playing the same six teams every single season the way that it has now for quite some time. It's about to play, whether you call it a pod or it's just three permanent opponents, it's about to play a small handful of teams every year and a larger collection of SEC teams on more of a rotational basis. So you'll see, let's just say Kentucky, a lot less, but you may see Texas A&M more frequently than you've seen in the past. So, John, here's my question. First of all, do you think that's a better step forward for the SEC when it comes to adding two more teams into the league uh, Georgia still hasn't traveled to College Station as of yet. They've been in the SEC since 2012. Is more of a rotational, less permanent scheduling model. Is that better for Georgia, better for the SEC? Yeah, I think you're talking about a, a changing of the model, right? The divisions, once you get that many teams, 16 teams in a single conference, it's hard to manage. I mean, you can't expect them to limit themselves to just those seven other teams on your side of the division. Um, and you don't have the exposure, you don't have the opportunities to go and compete against other teams and uh, might challenge the, the parity of it all, which is, seems like a joke at this point to talk about parity. Uh, Although Nick Saban did use that word the other day. Right. Got, a lot of, got a lot of rolls of the eyes when he did. Yeah, which uh, I don't know how much he wants parity, but it certainly is, is, is something to consider in the fact that there isn't parity the way it used to be in college sports, and there's a number of reasons why, which you know we've debated pieces of it throughout this entire series. But uh, I think the idea of of having three or four teams together that's not a new model. Look at the NFL, the NFC South has 
you know, Atlanta is going to play New Orleans, Carolina, and Tampa, and then they're going to rotate through the rest of the yeah. schedule, and primarily in the NFC conference, uh, but they're also going to dabble into the, the AFC. Very similar to what I think a, a realistic model would look like for college sports is you're going to have your primary teams on your side of what used to be your division uh, that you're going to play on an annual basis. You're going to most likely play teams in your conference, and then you're going to have opportunities to go outside of that, which you know it's not a far stretch to, to imagine what that would look like. I think it could be really exciting for fans, but – you know, like anything, it's, it's going to be a transition and you're not going to have that normal routine that you've grown so accustomed to. So whether you call it a pod or if you just think of it as three permanent opponents, I think it's pretty easy to imagine who Georgia's two would be. Georgia has to always play Florida. I believe it also has to always play Auburn. I think any scheduling model that didn't take into account the fact that this is the Deep South's oldest rivalry would really be too casual and disregarding history. Now, that means that Auburn would have to play Georgia and Alabama every single year, which it already does. But in this, you know, the three permanent opponent category, that's two big doozies right there. But I'm going to assume that, 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 that Georgia and Auburn would also play every year there as well. They may not, but I'm assuming they probably would. Who would that third be? Like, like you know, your understanding of history, your understanding of how the rest of this SEC scheduling stuff tries to kind of fits in there. If we assume that, that, that Georgia-Florida, Georgia-Auburn have to be on the schedule, who would that third permanent opponent probably be for Georgia in your mind? I ask anyone who lives north of Atlanta who that third, third opponent would be. You think Tennessee? I think it would be Tennessee. See, I think I may disagree with you on this a little bit because I'm a little older – well, not, I'm not that much older than you, but I'm slightly older than you. Only a couple of years. You're only, only, a shot here. Yeah, I'm only a, only a couple of years older than you are. But the point is, when I was a kid, and maybe people don't really care about the 80s anymore, but Georgia and Tennessee they actually didn't play every year back then. But the team they did play every year back then, even though they weren't in the SEC, was South Carolina. I actually think that Georgia-South Carolina probably has a better chance of being that third for Georgia than Tennessee would. It seems like the Georgia-Tennessee series is a little bit more prestigious, but there are a lot of South Carolina fans that view Georgia as their biggest SEC rival as it is, and the second biggest rival they have in their program, obviously Clemson being number one. Um, plus, if you say Tennessee is going to have a permanent opponent with Alabama, which they probably would, permanent opponent with Georgia, that's also a doozy for them there too. So I get the sense that if you really did go three permanents, it might end up being South Carolina instead of Tennessee that might be Georgia's permanent because that's what the Gamecocks would probably want. And it is a little bit more of a nod to long-standing history where Georgia and Tennessee actually didn't start playing every year until the early 90s. Those are all great arguments, B.A., but I disagree with you, partner. I think Tennessee is a program that, that would like to hold themselves in that same regard. And I don't think that South Carolina has that same claim, not, not in football. Now, if you're looking at if you're going to parse it out into various sports, well, that would make more sense. But I think you're talking about you know, a, a relevance factor that Tennessee would be able to claim yeah. more so than South Carolina. Now, with that said, that's still a – that's a power four right there now. Yeah. You talk about Georgia, Auburn, Florida, whoever that fourth is, yeah. if it's Tennessee, that is – that's quite a, a strong pod, if you will. Well, I think also you bring up a good point, too. It's like you think about the home schedule this upcoming year. You know, Tennessee's coming to Athens again this year, and based on, like, preseason projections – they stand to be a top 25 team when they do. Like, you played at Georgia at a time in which beating Tennessee was a very big deal. And for a while, it didn't become quite such a big deal anymore. But while I don't root for the Vols to be good, there is a part of me, as weird as this sounds, that's kind of excited about Georgia-Tennessee feeling like a big game again. We were there in Knoxville last year, full stadium, a lot of intensity. Georgia completely blew them out. But the 
prior to kickoff sort of felt like a Georgia-Tennessee game again. So there's a part of me that almost hopes that you're right in the idea that, like, I grew up at a time in which beating Tennessee was the kind of thing that you really celebrated and you really, you really enjoyed. To think that that might be kind of a check mark on Georgia's schedule again, there's a part of that as a fan to me that would actually sound pretty fun. Yeah, I, I think if you were actually to follow through with that concept of a pod, um, you'd really have to look at that, that parity because if you have 16 teams across, uh, across the SEC and you're going to put them in pods, if you will, if you have Florida, Georgia, Auburn, and Tennessee, that's a really strong pod. And I would think that some variation of LSU-Auburn would be in the same pod. So if there's two other pods of that 16, you have two power pods, if you will, and that third and fourth pod wouldn't have near the same uh, clout, if you will, program-wise. I mean, maybe they develop, but the, you, you've already pulled some of the, the biggest dogs in the entire conference into two specific, your top two pods. And that, that's not even mentioning what they would do on that, I guess, what would be a West, the pod out in the West, which would in Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, once they become part of um, the SEC, the there's going to be a the ugly stepsister pod, yeah. if you will, for for the remainder of those teams that you know maybe they get splashed in, but you know theoretical at this point. I guess I've kept you longer than I said I would, but I certainly appreciate your Georgia football conversation here today. It's fun to do this in person. We just should do this more often. I love it, and and Pella hasn't stopped slowing down, or they haven't slowed down on selling windows and doors behind us. So it, it's a good thing. It's always fun to be in person and uh, be here and and in a. Uh, community and a place that's so supportive of Dog Nation, and it's fun to talk about Georgia football anytime and all the time. I'm going to take a few comments and wrap this up, but thank you so much for being here today, John. Always great to do this with you. Enjoyed it. Go good, dogs. good stuff there with John Stinchcomb. Of course, tomorrow we're going to get back to our cruise around the SEC with Royal Caribbean. You've heard us do that now for a long time, and Royal Caribbean, great chance for you to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship here this summer. You know we were just on one. Your chance to be on one coming up here there as well, whether it's a Caribbean destination, you're going to Alaska, any of the great places that Royal Caribbean sales, you have a great chance to do that right now. Our friends of the Cruise Vacation Authority, uh, they'll help you out with that. You see their information there on the screen, tcava.com. That's the website, tcava.com. Let them tell you about all the great destinations that Royal Caribbean is going to, all of the great ships you have a chance to choose from, whether you want one of the big Oasis-class ships, one of those seven-day sailing, maybe you want a shorter sailing. Maybe it's three, four nights for you. Well, there's lots of great options there as well, especially going out of Port Canaveral, which is really just down the road from Orlando, short drive from kind of where I'm standing right here in the Atlanta area. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can get you set up on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that's great for you. And tomorrow we'll go cruise around the SEC more with our friends at Royal Caribbean. So fun stuff there. Let me also, uh, as we get ready to wrap up the show here and move into our RS Andrews Cooldown, remind you about our uh, Gator Hater Updater, Gator Hater Countdown. Also take care of some golden shoes here, there as well. Got some very good golden shoe submissions today. First of all, from David Hicks, who uh, he's got his nice little Gator Hater shrine going there. He's got the old school Georgia football helmet. You love the double bar look there on that. Uh, the uh, Gator Hater right in the middle. He says this deserves a golden shoe. David, I 100% agree with you on that. And then our buddy Georgia on tap also sends a uh, very funny thing. 
if you look at the bad spread here, the pillows kind of like the uh, almost like the jort motif there. He says it's a uh, it's a jort bed. It's a gator incubator, and that's uh, very funny from Georgia on tap there as well. We'll give a couple of golden shoes out to uh, both of those folks, and we'll also remind you as well when it comes to our gator hater updater. Now, been four thousand eight hundred seventy six days since the lousy stinking gators have won a national championship. We love rubbing that in each and every day. Also reminding those lousy stinking gators that Georgia back in Jacksonville getting a win against Florida once again, 166 days from right now. Y'all, thanks for being here with us live at Pella Window and Door of Georgia and Duluth today, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow.